But he's, he leads by example. He goes first and he puts the Lord God first and only in his life. He makes this big uh, decisive step to say he will not worship anything or anyone other than the living God. God will come first. A beautiful declaration and statement of faith. And it's a, a beautiful uh, soft heart, hard feet kind of statement and it uh, rings out wonderfully as uh, the book of Joshua comes to a finish. Now, I think it's actually even more significant when you put it into its context, when you read it inside its story. Don't just take that phrase, don't just take your badge, your name tag home and just read that statement. It's actually more significant, more beautiful when you know the story that it's sitting inside. And uh, what's happening here is God's people are going through a seismic shift, like a huge change that is happening to them as a community. It's almost hard to imagine the amount of change that they are going through. They're going from a centralized leadership model where Joshua, as one man, is the leader. And uh, before, before Joshua, there was Moses, one person leading the entire nation all together. And they were moving around as one. They were one nation, one community, all moving around together. And now they're being distributed. So they're shifting out. Each tribe has been allocated a portion of land. And uh, it's really good to pull this up on a map and to have a look at where they're all going to go to. They've all been told to, you know, take this portion of land and you need to clear it out. You need to settle down here. But what's happening is they're no longer having this centralized leadership. It's a huge shift. They're going to be uh, separate tribes, still having a sense of identity together, but not having a centralized government, if you like. Uh, try and imagine, so we, we've had this, uh, this conversation that has started all of a sudden, it seems, uh, and uh, we've recently had um, uh, Queen Elizabeth's uh, Platinum Jubilee celebrated, so a, a very long reign. We've had the Queen's birthday holiday, which is not actually her birthday, but it's a, a nicely placed public holiday for us in the year. Uh, all these celebrations, and all of a sudden we've got this conversation that our new government has started about becoming a republic. It's kind of, oh, okay, what's, what's going on here? My, my first thought was, okay, welcome to the next divisive topic for the few election cycles uh, coming through, because there'll be people who are, you know, really pro-monarchist, there'll be people who are pro-republic, a whole lot of people who don't really care at all, but we, you know, might start caring at some point um, as the conversation progresses. Um, but that's, but that's, a, that's a big change for Australia. That, that we're thinking about to become a republic, it's a, it's a change in identity. Now imagine if the change we were thinking about was actually to just have states and to disband our federal government. Just having the Victorian government looking after us and a different government for South Australia and no, fe I, I'm getting a few shaking of heads already. Yeah. <laughs> could, could you imagine what that's like to just go, okay, States and territories go your separate ways, do your thing. We're still Australia, we'll still have an identity, but no centralized government for all. We'll just have the states. Could you imagine that? Now, could you imagine in the church? I was trying to think, what would this be like in the church? I think, I think in the church it would be like the staff 
and parish council, church council disbanded, and we just had connect groups. Maybe that's kind of what it'd be like. There'd be, we wouldn't have this building, we wouldn't, we wouldn't meet centrally. You'd just have separate connect groups that maybe have an identity as Oak Tree. There's, a, there's some sort of communication that happens a little bit, but no major central gathering. That, that'd be quite a shift for us. Now, there's churches who do function like that and function really well. Like, that's a really healthy model uh, in some circumstances. But it, 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 ch- it would change it would change a lot, wouldn't it? It would change a lot for me. <laughs> now, that's not going to happen. <laughs> and Australia is not thinking about going to states and no federal government. It's not happening. But can you feel like the, almost that the, just imagining it kind of stresses us out a little bit? Just thinking about it is a concern. So imagine that, like that kind of shift for God's people that they're going through. And it's in that context. That's the context in which we have this amazing phrase. There's a, a, it's a beautiful moment uh, that they go through. Because change is huge. Change, change is really hard. It can be really challenging and really unsettling. Uh, change uh, really challenges all of the things that we hold near and dear. Thinking, thinking about Australia going through change, well, m- maybe, maybe we, we hold the, the flag near and dear. And what, what happens if that changes? Or I like the fact that I have family members in other states and I can go and visit them. What would happen? Or for the church, you know, maybe, maybe we like this building. We like gathering in here, being a part of something centrally. And then we think about change in our own lives. We think, well, what's going to happen to my superannuation, income, revenue, where I live? It's not easy to think through change. Change exposes the wounds in our hearts that haven't been healed by God yet. Sometimes they get amplified and we feel those really powerfully. Change often exposes some of the weak convictions that we have. We might think we hold to a certain principle or an idea, and change can kind of press that and challenge that. And sometimes what we think we have as a conviction just evaporates, it's gone, or sometimes it gets strengthened. Sometimes it gets strengthened. Well, Joshua understands the gravity of this moment. He knows that this is a crucial juncture, that this is a big change. It's a make or break occasion with uh, far-reaching consequences into the future. He knows that any tribe that doesn't put their faith in the Lord God as their first and their only will struggle and fail. He wants them to stand firm and united and to commit. But you can't force anyone's heart You can't force people to believe anything, but you can lead. And so Joshua leads. He starts by telling a story. If you'd go back to the start of uh, chapter 24, Joshua goes through history. He recounts history. They know this stuff, but it is worth telling again. He tells them the amazing things that God has done. He shows them that God is worthy of worship. God has proved himself as worthy of worship. 
And so for us, the, the entire Bible is a collection of these moments of showing that God is worthy of our worship. It is worthwhile for us to open the Scriptures and to reread. There's no sense where we, we should say, oh, I've read this bit of the Bible before. I won't read it again. Well, no, read it again. We need to be reminded, encouraged to see again that God is worthy of our worship. So he tells, he tells the story up to verse 13, and then he lays out the challenge to them. He says, Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then uh, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your ancestors serve beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. He leads the way. But then we hear the people. Uh, they respond that they too will serve the Lord. Uh, there's a fun little bit. It's, quite, uh, it's, it's, it's a little bit of backwards and forwards between Joshua and the people. And there's a bit where Joshua kind of says, no, you won't serve the Lord. <laughs> you can't. And, you know, if you, if you fail, you can't come back. He kind of, I think he's ribbing them a little bit. I think he's kind of just stirring them up, just trying to push back on them to go, are you sure? Like, he's not wanting a weak conviction here. He's wanting to push back on them and say, are you, are you certain about this? He's challenging their conviction. He actually gives them, it's giving them another opportunity to affirm their faith. It goes backwards and forwards. They make multiple declarations and commitments to serve the Lord. Uh, and then it's written down and a stone reminder is set up in place. And then it says, then Joshua dismissed the people, each to their own inheritance. So that's the constitutional change there. He dismisses them. That's, and that's, he dismisses himself effectively. By dismissing them back to their land, he is dismissing himself. They're distributed out as tribes. And then it says, the next verse actually says, after these things, Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. What a champion. He, he's a, he leads other people in their faith by leading himself by being courageous himself. He wasn't perfect, he made mistakes along the way. We've heard about some of the mistakes that Joshua made. But right to the end, he's wanting to keep going and he's wanting others to keep going. He's wanting the tribes to keep going in faith. And so there's words, there are statements of faith. But are these just words? Are these just you know nice words to have on a, uh, on a sticker to take home with you? Is a commitment of faith just some fine words? No. These are beautiful words to say, uh, but if you go to the book of James in the New Testament, you might know that in there it says, faith without deeds is dead. There is a necessity for us to walk in those words that we have committed to, and the tribes of Israel had to. They had to go and, they, they weren't just fine words for them to say. They knew the consequences of it. They were going back to wage war. They had to really step out in faith. 
And so for the tribes of Israel, they organized their lives around their central commitment to God. They didn't organize God around their lives. There's a huge difference there between organizing your life around God and organizing God around your life. There's a huge difference. Who, I mean, who's, the, who's orbiting who? I like to think, who's orbiting who? So, you know, we've got the sun and the earth orbits around the sun in the solar system. So are we the sun and God orbits around us and our life? Or is God the sun and we are orbiting around him? Sometimes we think we are big and we like God in our pocket to take around, but are we organizing our lives around God? The Israelites, they found joy in harvesting their crops and in growing their livestock and then giving the best portions to God. It's actually counterintuitive, it's not good farming practice to sacrifice the best lambs and the best goats. You use them to keep breeding. But they chose to give the first and the best to God. They didn't give their leftovers. They didn't give the redskins and eat all of the uh, sherbet for themselves. And in fact, they gave much more than that. They gave their lives. They, they, They sent young men off to war and they died for God's glory to finish the mission that they had been given. Now, if you keep reading through, you'll know that uh, the book of Judges that comes after Joshua isn't always pleasant, and you keep reading through the story of Israel, they fail. Why do they fail? We hear time and time again, it's because they turned away. They didn't keep God first. They incorporated other worship. They were distracted in their worship by other things. But here they make a commitment. They knew that it was worth it because God is worthy. It is worth being a part of the cosmic and eternal story. Life is meaningless without God at the center of it. But when God is there, shaping and forming you and creating opportunities for you to show love and to walk humbly with him and imitate the life of Jesus, then all the other stuff just fades into insignificance. So friends, may you know that joy of organizing your life around God, not organizing God around your life. May you know that joy that Israel had of giving their first, that costly work, that joyful, meaningful thing that they did to give their first fruits to the Lord. May you know that joy for yourself, for the glory of God. Amen. Well, I'm going to invite all of the kids back now, and uh, we've got a uh, prayer activity that we're going to...